Welcome to the Big Heart Business Show. My name is Carrie Shepard, business strategist, philanthropist, and believer. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs be more, do more, and give more beyond their business, and to do it with more heart and less hustle. Each week on the show, I'll be here with a message or interview from a powerhouse entrepreneur that has built their business by giving back. Together, we will inspire you, fuel you, and get you going with simple action steps and strategies to grow your purpose-driven business. Our philosophy here is that we can change the world one big heart business at a time. Let's get started. This is episode number seven of the Big Heart Business Show. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Kiri Severson. Carrie Severson is a retired journalist with 20 years in the industry. She stopped writing stories about other people in 2014, and now she shares her own personal stories on media outlets like Redbook, MindBodyGreen, and SheKnows.com. Carrie is a storyteller trainer for women around the world, as well as she helps those who have stories to share write about them. She is gifted at helping inspiring women craft their stories for the world to see. Welcome, Carrie. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Good to see you. Yes, you as well. I would love for you to share a little bit of the behind the scenes of, of how you got to where you are right now. How did you get into storytelling and, and really making it your life's work? Okay. Well, um, let's see. I So my storytelling journey actually starts in childhood. I was um, bullied as a kid, and I had low self-esteem as a kid, but I was super creative. And so um, I have a dance background, and I would love to paint, and um, I was always really fascinated with um, creating short stories. So I... Um, I didn't didn't have the tools to take my like imaginative world and apply it to the confidence in my day to day world, and a lot of that had to do with growing up in the eighties. Um, I am a child of like good old eighties. <laughs> yeah, when like the supermodel craze was at its peak. For like I'm five nine, I'm curvy, I have crazy hair, and this is how I've looked since I was ten years old. And there really wasn't anyone I could turn to to admire. Um, and so I made a pact with myself when I graduated from high school. I wanted to change the way girls treated girls and women treated women. And I thought the easiest way to do that would be to get involved in the media. So I went off to college with um, uh, uh, really focused on getting a journalism degree and kind of working my way up the ranks to write personality profiles about women I wanted to see portrayed in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, and then along the way, I got um, some PR experience. I moved from journalism to advertising and marketing. Um, and I ended up launching a nonprofit myself in 2011 called Seaperson Sisters. And we portrayed um, strong, positive, uh, we gave girls tools to help them enhance their relationships with other girls. So um, we created workbooks to give them uh, opportunities to learn how to talk to one another, be better friends to one another, um, know what to do about bullying and peer pressure. But um, in 2013, I really burned out. Our little nonprofit went from like 
zero to 3,000 in a matter of a year and a half. Um, wow. Yeah, we were portrayed in a lot of national media, a lot of local media, and I just couldn't keep up with the demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually started, I went back to my roots as a storyteller, and I started writing my burnout experience for, like, Red Book and Mind Body Green, and I started coming out of um, my professional burnout um, at that time. And as I started getting more opportunities to speak and to share that experience, entrepreneurs started coming forward and asking me to help them get published. And so this storytelling business really came out of my first business, which was a nonprofit where I burned out. So mm-hmm. how I got to where I am today. <laughs> yeah, wow. And I think it's so fascinating when you go all the way back to as a young child, um, really knowing and having that vision for really using your voice and wanting to share that. I think that's very insightful to have that as, as such a young woman. Yeah, I think we're all we're all sort of um, I think we're predestined and designed to do something great with our lives. And I always had that drive. Mm-hmm. I always knew it was meant to do something great, and not in a matter of speaking in terms of this is you know cool. I knew I was meant to do something on a grand scale. And when the nonprofit came into reality, um, I thought this is it. And then um, there was this constant quest for if this is what I'm supposed to do, why is it so hard? If God wanted me to do this, why am I struggling so much? And so there was this constant battle with myself, though, you know, the entire time. Um, and the nonprofit is six years old. And um, I finally just sort of leaned back about two years ago. Working with you was one of the very first things I did as a, as a, a you know, um, storytelling entrepreneur, where I just decided um, to take my gifts that I had um, you know, at my core and figure out a way to make a business out of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think you bring up a good point about, you know, this, this idea that if we have this desire to do something and we really feel like that's our mission and the reason that we've been put on this earth, but then it's so difficult and there's that struggle. What, what had you make that leap and what would you tell other entrepreneurs? Because I, I believe a lot of people feel that way when things aren't happening. And, and specifically when you talk about the finances not coming in, how frustrating that can be to be in that place. Um, it was a real battle. I mean, it was every day for a good year and a half. I um, burnout is like a is a psychological, emotional, physical sort of. Um, um, I don't know if it's a disease or disorder, but we, we <laughs> yeah. it's that fight or flight thing that we have. And I had to consistently surrender every single day. Like I would show up and I would do what I could, and if nothing happened. I would have to um, accept that it's out of my control. It's time to look at something else. It's time to do something else. And that wasn't an easy decision. I mean, I really struggled with it for a year and a half, so it wasn't something I really mastered. When I finally accepted my burnout, I was um, it was my 35th birthday. I was lying in bed, and I was resentful. I had this bitter, on my birthday, I had this bitter, bitter taste in my mouth. And I was like, I can't believe Mm. this is where I'm at. This is nowhere near where I thought it would be. Um, And so I heard the word burnout while lying in my bed, got out my phone, Googled the term. And I was like, this is who I am. Everything about this is I can resonate with this. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was actually that aha moment that I was like, it doesn't have to be this way. 
but I have to agree to allow it to be different. So um, recovering from burnout became my quest, which meant I had to um, kind of let go of the reins of the nonprofit, um, find a part-time job to help me, you know, kind of gain some stability back. And I went to my board of directors and we decided to retool our business plan. So in the, in 2014, we became a train the trainer um, business model Uh where we sold um, boxes of our our workbooks at bulk to schools and we trained teachers on how to implement our program. Um, And that helped us survive, but it was, it was not an easy decision to make. And I felt like by taking myself out of the, middle of it, I was failing somehow. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think every entrepreneur feels like that, right? If they're not in the, if they're not in the, um, in the thrust of it and in that grind that we're somehow failures. Yeah, that's such a good point. But I like the way that you went through that process of like, you know, starting with making a decision that you're going to do something different and being open to taking a step back to really kind of figure out what you want to do and make a new plan and then move forward. And I think sometimes that can be a really hard position to say, I've got to scale back in order to grow. So I I love that you share that. Mm. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, the work that you do with entrepreneurs and really helping them share their story. What does that process look like? And why is that so important for entrepreneurs to really um, focus on storytelling? Because I know you're so passionate about that. Yeah, I love story. I think story is a, a healing element. Um, there's a lot of positive energy that comes with story. I think it's what connects us. And so even from like you go to a sales perspective, everyone tells you to get emotional, um, let them see you, let them connect with you. That's really what your story is. And so um, we mm-hmm. don't have a single story. We have multiple stories within our overall experience. So my job is to help entrepreneurs take big um, aha moments or big shifts or big statements or mantras or messages and break them down into absorbable slices that their reader can absorb to help them form a connection to the storyteller. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, um, I have a client published tomorrow, and um, she's been texting me all day about, you know, there's anxiety coming up about sharing this story for the first time. There's a lot of fear that comes out, but when we're sharing um, a really personal experience of ours as an entrepreneur, our audience gets to see us in a new light. Mm-hmm. We get to help others ex- go through or heal from an experience we've had, and our tribe gets to grow as well. So people who didn't necessarily know who this woman is tomorrow gets to see something brand new about her and comes over to her site, joins her list forms a relationship with her, reaches out to her, thanks her for her message, and pretty soon you form a brand new client. So it's it's an organic way for entrepreneurs to grow their business while um, healing an element of their own past or sharing something super personal. Um, it's I love it. It's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, so not only are you helping entrepreneurs actually share their story, but you're also helping them get published so that they are getting the right eyes and and uh, the right quantity on their story. So tell us a little bit about how are you helping your clients get published? So um, we go through um, like a Q&A uh, over the phone. I ask them a series of questions and I pull out the right material to form um, an 800 word personal essay. 
Um, I then match the um, the essay to an outlet, um, and we agree on you know this particular website would be a really good match for this essay. If I have um, if I have an editor um, contact, I'll make an introduction for my clients. Um, if the web if the outlet that we're trying to pitch accepts essays online, I'll help my client walk through the process of pitching it. Um, if it's rejected, we go through this experience multiple times. So I make sure that whatever we're creating does end up published somehow, some way. So we usually, um, we usually have a top three, uh, publication tier that we focus on getting published on. But again, it always comes back down to the energy of the essay that we've created to the energy of the outlet and the readers, you know, absorbing that piece. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great point, too, that it takes multiple times to submit and you're not just getting the first place you submit. It's not necessarily saying yes. So I think that's a good point for people to remember when they're wanting to get published is that you've got to have a little bit of persistence and grit to to keep going and to find the right one. I think that's a great point, too, is the same story that maybe is right for, you know, you know, the Huffington Post might not be, you know, the same kind of article that's correct for Forbes. Is that is that true? Yep, and then it all, it comes down to timing too. So, um, a, a lot of times if you have passed been passed up three times, I say put it down for a second, you know, a month, and then try another three tiers in, in next month because what we've created may not be what people are looking for right now. So it, it's a cyclical, um, business. Um, a lot of it comes down to, um, really what they've already published and what they have in their pipeline. So mm-hmm. that's why it's important to stay consistent. And then not only consistent with that one piece, but as soon as you have that one published, you should have a second piece ready to go and in the pipeline to get published so that you're creating momentum. Um, mm-hmm. Your audience doesn't stay stale or, you know, um, uh, lose interest. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really good um, – funnel to create for yourself. Oh, you know, I love that word. I know. Um, <laughs> so if you were talking to somebody that's maybe newer of, of really thinking about kind of starting to share their story and maybe getting published is like, you know, feels a little scary, what would be some baby steps somebody could take right now to maybe even just start getting clarity around their story or even start sharing little bits of it or pieces of it? Um, I always start with what's one big lesson you've learned over the last six months. That's usually a pretty low-hanging piece of fruit. You can pull um, personal essays aren't anything more than five to 800 words. So if you start with a lesson that you've learned and you just freeform write about that particular lesson, what it felt like to go through it, um, nothing super scary, nothing super personal, but right. it's there for the taking. Um, most business outlets are looking for those types of lessons because there's always an entrepreneur coming up right behind you who's trying to gain what you just experienced. That's such a good point. Yeah, just starting with the baby steps. I like that idea too about the biggest lesson over the last six months because that, that probably isn't like the depth of no. like your your biggest triumph in life. That can be right. a little scary. Um, and so kind of talking about that that process that somebody would go through and getting published and sharing a story like this, and you talked about kind of the fear coming up or the fear of like, okay, it's getting published tomorrow. I'm, I'm you know, nervous right. about that. How do you help your clients walk through that? What, what kind of advice or is there 
exercises or something that you have them do to to kind of diminish those fears or to I always say use fear to fuel you, you know, to kind of push you forward. Yeah, I do a lot of I give a lot of journaling exercises around like um, what is it that really scares you about being vocal and visible around this piece? Who is it that you're afraid is going to judge you? So typically the anxiety we feel about being visible has to do with judgment or rejection or abandonment. There's this there's this darkness that we each have um, that stems from something long time ago. Um, so I do, I give a lot of journaling exercises that can help address the root of that fear, that anxiety. Um, and then when it's actually published, I like emphasize, don't just lean back and allow it to sort of float. Take control over it. This is a, this is a component that you can feel in control of. So uh, oftentimes that fear, that anxiety, um, has to do with the fact that we don't know what's going to happen. It's the unknown. But mm. if you, Share the personal essay. If you share your published piece with your friends and family first thing in the morning, you share it with your network, you are in control of it. You can't control what they're going to say about it, but at least you feel a little bit more, you know, in your corner. Um, so the journaling exercises and the, um, the promotional ladder is really where I help people move through that fear. Mm, I love that so much. Yeah, letting your kind of your warm circle and your friends and family see that. And hopefully they're going to give you positive feedback and, you know, give you that support so that can feel less scary. That's, that's a great tip. And I think that could go with anything that we're doing in our business, right? It's like anytime we're stepping outside of our comfort zone, it can feel a little scary. But that's why it's so important to start building your tribe and building your community of people that really do know you and they're going to be supportive of you, you know, pretty much with whatever you put out there in some capacity. Yep. Yep. My mom is always one of the very first people to read the things I write. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, if I'm writing, if I'm writing some super personal stuff that has nothing to do with my business, um, I'll do a mental check on like, who do I want to share this with and where do I want to share this? But if it's a business piece, um, it goes out to my network and eblast and LinkedIn and, you know, like I'm very proactive in it. And at the end of the day, um, people are going to like it. They're not going to like it. That has nothing to do with me. I've learned how to stay unattached to that. And um, I do my best to kind of give those lessons out to the people that I work, work with. Yeah, that's a great point that every piece isn't for everybody. And that brings up a great point, too. Somebody that might be in more of the business arena, you know, that you might think things are going to be a lot more kind of step by step. Here are the three lessons I learned. When you start to think about like a personal story and kind of sharing one of those things that you know, might feel a little bit more vulnerable. What are the benefits of somebody sharing a story like that, even when they their business is, is much more related to kind of step-by-step strategies, things like that? Well, I, um, I'm really fortunate to, I mean, uh, so I did a ton of stories on fertility in 2016 and has something to do with me as an entrepreneur, but pe- women would email me, um, and say, I'm ready to write my story on fertility. And so based on me sharing my own personal experience, I gained a new client who was ready to share her own personal experience. So um, when I've got a client who tomorrow, she is a global leader in um, thought strategy and leadership. She goes around the world and she teaches leaders how to be responsible in their leadership. And tomorrow the piece is about an incredibly personal, vulnerable experience that she had when she was in her early 20s. It has nothing to do with one another. However, 
teaching people around the world how to be better leaders has to start with her being vulnerable and open to sharing her own personal lessons. Um, so we're hoping that that kicks back to um, her uh, speaking opportunities, um, which could then lead to new uh, potential clients and new partnerships. You never really know how it's going to kick back. Um, and the thing that I find entrepreneurs so laser focused on is that they're not open to the possibilities of the new. Like you could get published and somebody could read your piece and say, hey, I want to partner with you on X, Y, and Z, but it has to do with what you're doing today. So it is a law of attraction tool and it's um, a domino effect. It, it works every time. <laughs> That's such a great point that it's not always about you know, it is about having goals and what are the goals for doing that, but that they can be speaking opportunities. They can be joint venture partnerships. So there's a lot of other opportunities that can exist by you getting visible and putting yourself out there. So that's a great point for everybody to really remember is that, you know, you are sharing you and you are your business, no matter if you coach on business or love or relationships or whatever the case may be. Yeah. My very first um, personal essay was for Huffington Post in 2014 on burnout and when I started writing about my love life a year later, I pitched, I was actually in a writer's networking group and um, the editor of Redbook asked me to write for her because she recognized my name from the Huffington Post piece the year before. And so you never really know how this is going to play out, right? You don't know the end result. So don't cut yourself off and stay open to the possibilities that everything you've been through is going to benefit you somehow, some way. Your job is to stay open and visible and um, strong in your vulnerability and be willing to share your experiences and your lessons because somebody's always looking to learn from you. Mm, such a good point. Yeah, I love that so much. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a small world. So that's, that's a good point too, that people are going to see you being out there. And, and, you know, I believe that the more you do it, the better you're going to get so that when you do get that big opportunity to be in, whatever that favorite magazine is or that big publication that you want to be in, you will have had the experience and it's not your first time getting published. And hopefully those fears and that, that clarity is going to be, it's going to be easier for you. Mm -hmm. so, well, let's talk a little bit. I know you already mentioned a little bit about your charity and I'd love to talk a little bit about that and, and really talk about what your give back plan looks like with your charity, why that's important and maybe even talking a little bit more about your story on why you really felt called to start a nonprofit. Yeah. Well, um, I was working for an advertising agency and felt like I had gotten really far away from this initial desire to help girls treat girls better and women treat women better. You know, I got into journalism because I wanted to make an impact in the way media portrayed females and I was not doing that whatsoever. I was like writing press releases for University of Phoenix and multi-billion dollar companies and helping them get published or, you know, get press. And so I took a step back and um, for like a good six months every day after work, I would come home and I would journal and I would ask myself questions that I didn't know the answer to. Things like, what can I see myself doing for the rest of my life and how can I make an impact in the world? And when it came down to it, everything always came back to self-esteem, females, creative arts, because those are really my passion, you know, my passion points. So I did a ton of research on what it was going to take to run a nonprofit and you know, hit the go button in 2011. And it was just the right place, right product, right program. Um, bullying girls was on the rise. Girl power was 
you know, everywhere from the White House to Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so within a matter of a, a year, we were asked to create something that moms and daughters in small town Maine could implement. So we actually wrote, I got together with um, a group of advisors and we created the Supergirl Guide series, which is a series of workbooks that we started selling. A publisher came to us, asked us to work with him. And um, that's what we did. We created curriculum in a workbook format that we could sell. Um, and uh, it's been phenomenal. I mean, we've impacted thousands of lives over the last six years. So mm, that's absolutely incredible. So when somebody maybe hears a nonprofit, I, you know, I really believe a nonprofit is just like a business. You've got to make money to stay open. Mm-hmm. And talk to us a little bit about how you get funding and why you decided to open it up as a nonprofit rather than just open it up as a business where you were selling these workbooks and going into schools and doing this type of work. Well, um, I wanted, um, I wanted girls in, um, poor areas to be as influenced as girls with parents who could afford this program. And so right out of the gate, I realized that um, bullying and self-esteem issues weren't just happening in one demographic. I mean, when you looked at, when I looked at the statistics of um, girl on girl bullying, it was social media. It was um, after school centers. It was churches. It was libraries. It was neighborhoods. Um, so it had to be something that was uh, easily accessible and universal, which meant that we had to rely on people giving in order to give schools who couldn't afford it the tools necessary to implement. Um, but, you know, I um, we relied very, uh, very little on, like, uh, state funding. We didn't do a ton of grant writing. We really made it by selling um, asking for donations and then selling our curriculum to um, facilitators. We licensed our material out mm-hmm. a lot, so the train the trainer materials is really what um, sort of saved the nonprofit and created some good substantial funding for us. Yeah, and so does it kind of work like the schools basically that can afford it and can to put can put the funding into buying the materials? They do, and then those schools that are kind of lower economic stature then you're basically donating or selling it at a very nominal fee. Is that kind of how it works? Yep. Yep. So, and um, yeah, that was how we did it for several years. And now what we're really focused on is um, we're interested in having uh, general public purchase workbooks in bulk. And then um, we give the train and trainer materials to the people who purchase it and they get to go out and give it to the schools. And so it's very, you know, we've taken all of the overhead out of it. We've taken um, – it is strictly a donation, a volunteer-based organization at this point because um, I, don't take, I don't take revenue out of it. So we run it um, as a volunteer base now. Nice. Great. So is this something that a parent could go and purchase the workbook if they wanted to help their, their daughter? Then it's not yeah. – okay. Yeah, so That's all awesome. three of the workbooks are on my personal website. Okay. Uh, they're sold at bookstores nationwide um, as well as online. And um, I want to say retail, they're $16.95. And then what we – I have, if you're interested in buying a box of books, it's 35 boxes of books in one. So it would be one Supergirl Guide to Respect box, which is 35 workbooks, and that's $200. 
And then I give you, I send you a box of books and I email you the train the training materials and you get to go out and give it to whatever school you want. That's fantastic. I love that so much. I mean, that is such a hot topic. And I know for myself, I don't have children, but I have three goddaughters and one of them has already experienced bullying and it just completely breaks my heart. And I love that you're really making a difference and teaching these girls how to really empower themselves and, and really shifting a generation. So it's yeah. Great. yeah, I'm glad. Um, yeah, we're um, we're very fortunate that um, we've been able to make as big of a difference as we have, and we hope that it continues to make a ripple effect. That yeah. lies. So, what is your vision for the organization? Do you do you have some bigger? Um, I'm sure have some bigger ideas of where you're going to go over the next um, couple years or in the future. Well, um, we. Um, Moving in this direction of just um, giving out boxes of books and giving our train the train train the trainer materials out into the communities, and um, that is really kind of our vision for the next year. Uh, strictly being a volunteer basis, this is the first year that we're doing this as a volunteer basis, and so we're going to ride it out the rest of the year to see how this works with people um, purchasing boxes of books for me directly, me sending out that material. Um, but in the future, I mean, I wanted to translate the materials into different languages, mm. and um, that's something that is super exciting and probably two to three years down the line. Oh, yeah, that's that's an awesome vision. Um, so when we think about, you know, a lot of the people that are listening to this show and that are, you know, really getting connected with us have that desire to want to do something big, but it might feel a little bit scary to maybe open their own nonprofit right now or you know, just kind of not knowing what that next step is to really kind of be able to give back with their business, whether it be time, money, or a combination. What kind of advice would you give somebody if they're kind of in that space? Well, starting with the philanthropic branch of their for-profit is um, my best piece of advice. I mean, um, so many nonprofits will lend their 501c3 number or their EIN number to uh, a startup. Um, because it does take a while for the IRS to give you your own EIN or 501c3 number. I want to say that every state is very, very different on how a 501c3 can run. So here in Arizona, it's incredibly complicated. And so um, for those people who have come forward and asked me, hey, do you recommend me launching a nonprofit? I always say, if you can figure out a way to make an impact in the world or in your community, underneath your existing LLC, I highly recommend that first and get some traction going first before you launch in the 501. Um, so many funders want pre and post surveys. They want so much research before they give you funding. And um, unless you've got a strong backing or some, you know, venture capital or they're called angels in the nonprofit world, mm-hmm. you've got a good, and I'm talking like a good hundred to $200,000 to start with, um, you're, all, you're already a little bit, stressed. <laughs> so uh-huh. make an impact in the world um, underneath your LLC first or your um, your corporation first and let that ride. And when you feel like you've got a good traction or some good um, results, move into the 501 space. 
That's such good feedback. Yeah, that it's such a big undertaking to really start a charity. And so when you say to really kind of make some headway with your with your LLC or your your corporation, what are some of those things that you would advise somebody to do, you know, as, as far as maybe some tangible steps that they could take? Well, um, we're coming up on summer here now, so parents are looking partner with like a local community center and create some curriculum to implement um, during, you know, a week uh, for free and um, make some, you know, take some pictures and give some pre-surveys about one specific element that you're trying to change and do a post-survey on how they experienced it. Um, That is a good, that's a good starting point, right? So if you're going to create something on, helping girls with their self-image, and you're focused on eighth-grade girls. Um, give them a week to talk to you about um, how they feel, what they are currently doing. Give them some tools to change that, to enhance that, and at the end of it, give them another survey, and chances are you gave them some you know, good tools to put in their tool belt. Then um, from there, you can write a little report about what you did in the community, about how you helped X number of girls, and, you know, the following year or during fall break, you could go out and pitch somebody and say, hey, are you willing to give me $500 to put on this summer camp? Um, so the other thing I could I could um, recommend is sponsoring. So if you are partnered with, let's say, the local YMCA or the local Boys and Girls Club, and you want to um, give 25 children an opportunity to do X, Y, or Z for the summer, um, don't just give them money, but actually show up every day, introduce yourself, make sure that your impact is there somehow. Um, it's uh, it's more than, you know, community, 501c3s are looking for people who aren't just going to give the cash, but are looking for people to actually do the work. That's really mm-hmm. the ingredient in that world, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the reasons I personally burnt out is that it always fell back down to me. So, so many people want to just give money, but um the folks willing to show up and do the work and actually make the impact and make the change is the the link. So be the link. I like that. I like that a lot. And I like those tangible tips about really being able to get involved and, and starting community-wide, something that you can actually kind of touch and feel and, and see the, the fruits of what you're doing to give back. So yeah. those are great tips. Thank you so much. Okay. So, Carrie, when you think about kind of um, – the, the change that you really want to see in the world with what you're doing with storytelling, what you're doing with your, with your charity and, and just sharing your change. Thank you for listening um, to this episode of the Big Heart Energetic Perspective. So if you I know someone that could benefit from this information, element. I would so yeah, appreciate the world is in desperate And make sure to subscribe to this channel and leave a we can't just get by on if you're ready to um, fuel your big heart business what each other are saying. We have to figure out a way to head not over to this, but Harry.com um, connect with one another, be in harmony with one another, um, support each other. And in my opinion, I believe that just keep listening to one another don't forget where that starts, we are changing the world. Understanding each other's stories are really that bridge. And so I think of myself as a vessel of story in that it is going to help us heal.